Hi, and welcome to the Unschooled Space, the podcast that's here to help parents embrace their personal journey into unschooling with all the joy and challenges it's likely to bring. Each episode, I talk with other parents about their experiences. This is episode 57, and I'm your host, Esther Jones. And if you're interested in hearing more about unschooling, mindful parenting, come find me on Instagram or come to my website, which is esther-jones.com and sign up for my newsletter. So today I'm chatting with Julie Walter from Ontario, Canada. Julie has three children who are 9, 11 and 13 and who've never been to school. Julie's a former teacher and she talks about the differences that she could see between the resistant nature of classroom curriculum learning and the kind of natural learning that she was seeing unfolding happily at home. We talk about what it means to accompany our children in this journey, how to stay trusting during the inevitable ebbs and flows, and how deep our own de-schooling journeys often need to go. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi Julie, lovely to have you here today. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for having me, Esther. I'm excited to be here and to chat with you today. Love talking about anything homeschooling, unschooling, kids, parenting, the whole thing. Fantastic. Great. Well, let's just dive in and maybe you could tell us a little bit about your family and how you came to unschooling. Sure. Um, we are a family of five. So I have a husband and we have three kids. So my oldest is 13. Uh, my middle son is 11. And then my daughter, only girl in the family, she's nine. Yeah, so it's exciting times for us. Um, and we've been unschooling for, I don't know, I would say their whole lives. That's how I like to classify it. Because I don't feel like there was kind of a pivotal moment at which we started to school them. There were times where I thought I was going to school them and then backed off of it, which is part of part of the journey that I've been on. Um, I taught in the regular school system in Canada for 16 years. And some of those years overlapped with when I was homeschooling my kids and unschooling them, um, which I think is really eye-opening. It was a really eye-opening journey to be teaching at the same time as I was kind of unraveling what I thought school was supposed to be and what I thought education was. And so it was really interesting to watch my interfacing with students at school at the same time as my children at home. And when I tell people this, a lot of people say, well, how did you do that, right? How do you teach at school and homeschool? Um, well, I was part-time for a lot of years. Like as I was kind of off and on again with the maternity leaves and whatnot, I had the chance to teach the kids at home and we would just do things whenever they happened, right? Like, so it would be in the evenings, on the weekends when I had breaks. And I think because I was doing both things that allowed me to get a little bit more creative with my idea of schedules. That was kind of like the first thing to fall away was, um, I don't need to be doing school during these hours at these times it doesn't you know learning doesn't happen in these little packages and the more I kind of had to do that the more I got comfortable with doing it and the more I realized just how silly it is to keep ourselves boxed yeah <laughs> yeah totally so the yeah. schedule you said that's the first thing to go isn't it yeah that's interesting I used to find I often said on the podcast I would often find Monday mornings quite challenging in the beginning the whole world seemed to be being productive when we weren't <laughs> yes <laughs> It felt kind of wrong. It just felt there was a wrongness about it. Well, I think it's, um, you know, and that comes from the programming, right? The program that, programming that we've all received to say, well, Monday mornings are supposed to be hard. They're supposed to be hit the ground running. And, you know, we don't like them and we dislike it and we dread it. And it's like, well, actually, where did that story come from? And why are we buying into it? So, you know, you don't right. ask those questions or you don't start to ask those questions until you notice, right? Like what you were speaking of is like, oh, I noticed that dissonance, that feeling like I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. And then you ask the questions and then you start to, you know, find find your own way. Yeah, well, that's the de-schooling, isn't it? It's that the dissonance, yeah. right? It's noticing those moments of going, hang on a minute. Why does this feel wrong to me? Is it wrong? Or yeah, have, do yeah. I have an old story going on here? Absolutely. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about um, what did you notice? What were the things that sort of struck you while you were leading your double life, as it were? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, just how easy learning was at home, um, mm. how it was fun, how it was based around connection and joy. 
and in school and when I was teaching it felt a lot more like um uh, I describe it as power over dynamic right Uh like this is what I'm teaching this is what you have to learn and compliance and when we apply that in learning settings then you get well in any setting frankly right like if you're seeking compliance then you're going to get resistance And so I found that a lot of my effort and energy in the classroom was going towards addressing issues of compliance and instead of issues of building creativity and igniting the learner and getting them excited and, you know, um, supporting the engagement that was already there, which is what I was doing with my kids at home. They wanted to be engaging in various different things. And so my job became facilitator and supporter and encourager and cheerleader instead of no, you have to do this. And this is why and trying to convince. Had that felt strange to you before you saw something else with your children? Or is that did you feel that was just a sort of a part of teaching? Or did you when you had your children, you were seeing how they were learning with so much ease? Was that what led you to sort of question it a little bit more? Um, I had always struggled, <laughs> to be honest, in, in okay. the classroom. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I didn't know what the problem was, but I always kind of taught in a different way than my colleagues or, you know, I was pushing my students in different ways because I'm a very creative thinker. And for me, I was all about like, okay, well, let's create connections and let's do things that are kind of outside the box to the extent I was able. And I think that's an important thing I want to bring to the table just from the educator's perspective is it was the most exhausting form of activism I've ever done trying to be in the school system and um, teach in a way that I felt good about um, to really teach the children and to try to support the children because the system itself is set up for compliance. The fact that there is a curriculum that you are teaching to denotes that there is a standard. There is something that you must achieve. And if you don't, then you're less than in some way. And so it was very difficult to balance what I wanted to be able to do with yeah. those children and support them forward. And, you know, it's conventional schooling uh, where I was teaching and to try to be able to support them forward, but also have this curriculum document that I had to do and to have to give them letter grades about what they'd done and comment on it. And parents who wanted to know how they were doing. And I'm like, you know, that's a lot of pressures and, and hoops that I had to jump through. And so, you know, what came clear to me is that it's systemic, right? It's, you know, we're doing this to our kids and we're asking them to jump through these hoops, but then the educators are having to jump through their own hoops. And then the administrators are jumping through their own hoops. And it's all dictated by, you know, governments who are deciding what the Ministry of Education wants these kids to know. And so it was very difficult, you know, as the educator trying to not jump through the hoops to the extent I was able, but then also struggling a little bit with burnout. And, you know, I can do certain projects and make them really exciting. Um, And then other things I had to pull back on and just do kind of like the textbook work or whatever, because I didn't have it in me to be doing reinventing the wheel essentially like it on all the fronts, right? There just wasn't enough time. And then In addition, what I was saying earlier about having to deal so much with the compliance issues of the classroom took so much of my energy that Mm. it became hard to kind of flip that on its head and say, okay, well, we're just going to throw everything out the window and just tell me what you want to do. Show me what you want to do. And what I found was the kids didn't have the skills to do that. They wanted training wheels. They wanted me to tell them what to do. And, you know, it was Mm -hmm. evident in things like I say, okay, well, let's just write today. We're just going to write. And, you know, hands shoot up in the class. How long does it have to be? Should we write on every other line? Should I be doing printing or cursive? This is like, I don't care. Just write something like, let's have fun. But just to even in the classroom, like having to bring that back and kind of create an awareness for the kids, it really made a lot of them very uncomfortable. Um, And I taught a lot of my years in junior grades. So that would be kind of ages Mm. 10 to 12. But I've taught everything from five-year-olds up to 17. So it was just interesting for me to watch that programming already existing in these 10-year-olds where they couldn't just write. They had to write with conditions. And so that that became really clear to me. There was a lot of undoing that I had to do with the students that I had in order to even just get them to feel comfortable being creative because their creativity had to be in some sort of parameter already, you know, and that's already by age 10. And not every student, don't get me wrong, but, um, you know, the general feel in that 
room was teachers going to mark this what do I need to do to succeed right well that is the system as as you say it is a systemic issue isn't it and where you have grades and where you have to get to a certain place and where you Mm -hmm. need compliance unfortunately it can't do anything but really affect a child's autonomy sense of self a sense of being empowered within that space you know I think one comes at the cost of the other doesn't it really well, they find their ways to be empowered in that space. And some of them are unhealthy ways of relating to themselves and their own creativity and their own value, uh, because their value is always sought outside of themselves, right? It's like, oh, yeah. what does teacher think of this? Not, do I feel proud of this? And is this good enough? You know, maybe it's riddled with spelling mistakes, but I'm really proud of, you know, the setting I created in this piece of writing. It's like, well, yeah, setting's fine, but we have, here's this list of proofreading things that you need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it's that searching for something beyond ourselves. That's a difference between the power of intrinsic motivation, which is what you're describing your children at home, mm-hmm. and then that extrinsic motivation of needing to please people or needing to, you know, um, get the right grade or or whatever the reward is or not being ashamed or whatever it is. Um, it's such a massive difference, isn't it? It really feels like it's sort of really everything. That and the connection, perhaps, um, mm-hmm. just allowing someone to tap into their intrinsic motivation it's just such a different way of learning it's quite hard to describe to someone I think who hasn't seen it in action and who doesn't really trust that children know how to learn yeah yeah and I think that that is really um, one of the major drawbacks of the fact that we're kind of school-centric right like as a culture Mm -hmm. we rely on schools to do that job of encouraging our kids and and teaching and so we don't see a lot of other models of how education can look and when they do exist they're secretive and not on purpose but it's because you know we're all doing this work in our own homes and so it's really hard to kind of get a sense of what what does that look like? What does it look like to learn in a different way? But I think even more importantly, what does it feel like? What does it feel like Mm -hmm. as the learner and as the educator? Because when that's our first thing, when that's our first concern is dealing with that connection, both to between teacher and student, but also student and self, right? Like when you're talking about the intrinsic motivation, it's like, Okay, well, when you start there, when you start with connection, yeah, then it's infinite possibilities. But that nuance and that ability for us to have infinite possibilities is almost what turns us off of it, right? Because it's like, well, okay, then what, right? Like, I don't even know where to start. We want our footing. We want to know the steps that we take to become successful. Mm. And I think it's because we, like our generation, uh, a lot of us unschooling parents we were schooled ourselves, right? So there's so many pieces that we we have to show up for that are really tricky, really tricky. Like wanting to know, we want to know, is this going to turn out? Is my kid going to be okay? Am I teaching enough math? Are they going to be able to, you know, write an essay if they decide to do some program in the future? You know, like there's so many questions that come up because we are steeped in that external validation. And so when we try to teach from a place that's not that, wow, do we ever come up against it, right? Yeah, yeah. We'll talk in a minute about that whole de-schooling process that we go through. But I was just thinking about this idea, of course, when we talk about school, we talk about learning and that we grow up with this idea that learning is this thing that you do. It's sort of separate from everything else and you can live. And then if you like, you can learn. But of course, it's not like that. Learning is a, a thing we naturally do. We're born with a desire to learn. That's just how humans are. And so a child's desire to learn, well, we see them learning to walk, learning to talk all by themselves, right? And it's just that continuation of them understanding what's relevant for them right now in their lives and going to find that and being curious about those things. So it's such an intensely personal journey, I think, Mm -hmm. this, this, this sort of intrinsic journey of motivation. I see it Well, here. I certainly see it as it's very driven from inside and it's and it's such a powerful journey when it's really done by the learner, you know, it's, but it's almost the opposite of school where it's sort of putting the information in as opposed to a kind of a, a journey of discovery, which I think that that feels right to that individual. I'm sure you have three children, so I'm sure you see very, do you see very different kind of journeys happening with your children? I do. I do. Um, and I have three very different learners. 
And I think even just that little sample size of my own kids, it just shows me how much we lose when we try to standardize kids in a classroom and expect the same of all of them. Um, Because my eldest, he is very good at reading. He loves it. And I couldn't hold him back from it. And my middle child does not love reading. He has a struggle with it and it's it's tricky for him and he can do it, but it's not a passion of his. He loves working with his hands. He loves um, building things. Um, he's very hands-on. And my daughter, she is uh, very active, very athletic. She loves to move her body. She loves to learn kinesthetically. She loves to like, climb and race and um, all those types of things and, and bake and, you know, the uh, things that are very active. And so it's just really interesting to see the variety, mm. even just within my three, uh, because you think, you know, right. You think, you know, what your kids are going to be like, but it rarely turns out that way. <laughs> you think they're going to oh, be no. just like you. And in some ways they are right. Like I see bits of myself coming out in all three of them, uh, but they really are their own distinct humans and they've come with their own gifts and their own challenges and their own aptitudes and interests and the whole package, right? And I think when you said a journey of discovery, I feel like that is such a great way to describe it. Because as the parent and educator for my kids, I find that I'm on a journey of discovery Mm, of who they are. Absolutely. So it's like, it's a beautiful tandem walk, right? To be there with them and to discover with them and to support them in who they're becoming and to learn who they are alongside of them and just allowing that process instead of it being, you know, this is what I think you should be. And this is what I think you should do to get there. Um, Because it it cuts off so much, right? Like we, the words on the tip of my tongue, but uh, inadvertently truncate. Yeah. Ability that's there, right? When we think we know, um, we kind of supersede what's already there and what's emerging. Yeah. Um, And when you were saying about discovering the child, what's coming to my mind now is what you were saying also about the uncertainty. And and I find mm-hmm. that really interesting because it's true, not that there is a certainty with school, but there's a kind of, it feels like there is, that if you work hard, then you will get here and it will all be okay. So we could absolutely question that. But when you are not at school and you're allowing them on their journey and you don't really know where it's going to go, so it's fascinating. And as you say, it's a real temptation to want to pin things down but when if you did that, and I think we all every now and again inadvertently step in and, you know, try to channel something, you know, without meaning to, you're kind of limiting them. And so you have to sit with the the not knowing mm-hmm. where it will go. And I think that this is where that big piece of trust comes in, doesn't it? If you can trust that your child on this journey becomes oh. very wise about themselves and they sort of taking, you know, they're taking the steps that feel good for them then there's a trust that it will be okay. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, I think that's actually one of the main values that we have uh, and reasoning behind why we're doing what we're doing with our kids' education is because we want them to have that trust in themselves. Mm. Because that's what I saw was missing in many of my students, right? Even back to that example where it's like, well, how many words do I have to write and how many lines? It's like, just trust me. like lean into some trust that you can write something that's worthy of putting down on the paper you know and I think that issue of trust is the thread right it's that thread that you know catches us as the educator as the parent to be like oh well I don't trust myself enough to do that because we've come through a system that really should prepare us to teach our kids right if it's an effective system we should be ready to teach our kids but it leaves us feeling ill-equipped to do so So how effective is that system, actually, if it leaves us feeling distrust in our own abilities? And then that thread of trust comes through in our kids, right? Like as we're we're building that in them and that ability to say, oh, okay, I don't know that yet, but I trust myself to figure it out. I trust that I can find what I need to find, particularly now that we're living in a digital culture. Like, oh, my goodness, there's never been a time with more resourcing. Yeah. And more availability of information and knowledge at our fingertips. And so trusting that, you know, you can do this and you can find the answers that you need 
helps you, right? Like if you start with the trust and then you build the skill off of that trust, it's like, okay, well, yeah, I can yeah. figure it out. And then you watch some stupid video on YouTube and you're like, oh, well, that didn't teach me anything. Identifying <laughs> that, right? And going through that process over and over instead of, it's almost like I'm getting this visual of like lab experiments where they just feed rats treats every once in a while. And then the rat gets to know, like I go here at this time and I get the treat. It's like, yeah. that's inadvertently what we're doing in the educational system because we're drip feeding the kids this information. It's like, well, this is how you get information. You have to go to an expert, the teacher, whoever, and you get it. Yeah. You get this treat. And then this is what you do to prove you know it, right? And feed it back. Mm-hmm. And then the trust is built in the system. The trust is built in, I'm going to get my treat if I go here at this time and do this thing instead of, yeah. oh, I'm a rat. I'm resourceful. I can eat just about anything. I can go anywhere, right? Like, um, right. so it just it just is a total shift in the way in which we're relating to knowledge acquisition and learning as a process. And trust, I think, is a good word to describe the process of learning because it's messy. Mm. And what you said earlier about you know we rely on the school system to succeed, right? We basically um, pretend that that's a surefire way to get through life, but it's not, right? How many people graduated school and they still have problems, they can't get jobs, or maybe they're left with, you know, trauma from from their schooling um, that leaves them feeling not good about themselves, you know? So we don't talk about that stuff. Yeah, and I, I think the flip side of this idea that if you do well at school, you'll you'll be fine is what if you don't? And the kids who have gone through a system which in which they felt stupid or incapable or disempowered, you know, when every child comes with what they come with, you know, and every child will have something to be discovered. And it's a bit of a tragedy. I think the children who, you know, whatever gifts they have are not seen. I actually think my my elder children are both interested in things which wouldn't be necessarily covered in a curriculum which is interesting. There are other things they're interested in that, that would be, but their particular uh, sort of areas of interest are not necessarily quite academic, but they're not necessarily something that they would have done at school. So tell us a little bit about your de-schooling process then as, as a teacher as well, and, and the kind of things where you felt you've had to sort of, you know, take a deeper look at, at your stories that you've brought to it. Um, I will say that's a daily process of just being aware and bringing awareness to the programming and and the shoulds. But I think it started when I kept my son home. At first, I thought, okay, well, I know what to do, right? Like I taught, we're going to sit down at the kitchen table, we're going to do these workbooks, and it's going to be great. We'll do math from this time to this time. And that lasted less than a week. (laughs) Um, And the reason why was because I felt the connection, the tug on the connection. It was like, you know what? This is not worth it. This is not worth it. I'm not going to sacrifice my relationship with my kids and the joy that I feel when I'm at home with them and, and, you know, enjoying learning and like everything that we were doing before these workbooks showed up. Like, that's just not okay. And so I started to look for where the learning was happening. And this is something that I was taught as a teacher Um, I went to this workshop once and it was called No More All Night Marking. And it was basically like how to help yourself in your classroom so that you don't have to mark reams and reams of stuff. And so they basically said, well, look for what you're already doing in the class and just observe things and observe the children when they're doing what they're already doing. And then just mark things down and then you can get marks for your markbook. So this idea wasn't new to me. Um, But for some teachers, it's tricky even to do that. So I started just looking for the learning that was already happening. I was like, okay, do I need a workbook to show me that I've done these Mm. things? Or are we just going to naturally start doing them in my kids' lives? And starting again to ask those questions like, okay, well, do we need to do a worksheet about colors? Like, do we really need to do that? Because I don't think my child is going to get to the age of eight and not know what blue is. You know, like, do we really need to be doing it in this format, Mm. in this way, with these particular outcomes at this time? And so when I started asking those questions, again, I was leaning into trust, like, oh, yeah, they're totally going to get this. And so, you know, it came in these little ways over and over where I was just questioning, what am I doing here? What is the point of this? Why bother? Why bother with this education? Um, And then at the same time, I was watching my kids flourish in various different ways. So my oldest being a reader, a really strong reader, 
he was very into space at that at that time. So he would have been probably grade one age. And at that time, I was also teaching in Canada grade six. So that's like 12 year olds, um, which is when you learn about space. And that was like a very pivotal moment for my de-schooling because that was so clear to me when I was trying to force feed these kids at school in the classroom, space information, get them excited. I was sharing the same resources that we'd found for my son at home. He was super excited, really engaging videos and books and and they just, they didn't care. And they were just trying to learn the bare minimum for the test. And I couldn't get them engaged because they didn't want to learn it. And my son at home, who's, you know, six right. years old, can't get enough. He's learning about exoplanets and the renaming of Pluto. And, you know, like he just, he could, he could rattle off all the planets yeah. and he just wanted it. He was engaged in it. And so to see that <laughs> at the same time happening in these two worlds, I'm like, wow, yeah. that can't get any more yeah. clear you know and so that was kind of uh, a really pivotal moment for me and then after that I kind of worked my way out of classroom jobs and I started doing other other things where I could meet the child uh, more where they were so I actually ended up in gifted education which was pretty exciting because the idea is like meet the child where they are um, which was all well and good until they cut the whole department um, in one fell swoop Um, and that's when I left the profession Cause I thought to myself, you know, like I cannot support, I cannot support this anymore. You know, like those were kids who needed this programming. Um, and I felt like what we were doing was actually <laughs> giving these kids a life buoy so that they could survive in that environment. And just the blatant disrespect for mm-hmm. the needs of the child, just right in my face. Um, and so at that point I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so I was out. And so, you know, what I said earlier that my de-schooling journey is daily, it's because the threads that we carry with us, these shoulds and these worries and these questions about, am I doing enough? Is this good enough? Is my kid, you know, going to be okay? They all relate to that root of trust that you were speaking of earlier and asking the questions over and over again of like, okay, well, where did this come from? Is this mine? Does this fit with our family values? Is this something that I do actually need to be worried about? If my uh, premonition about this came true, could we solve the problem? How could we solve the problem, right? So again, just returning to my own creativity and trust to be like, okay, so let's say my kid gets to university, they don't know how to write an essay. Could we solve that problem, Right. right? Like it's not actually that difficult to solve it. And just allowing ourselves that process of, testing it right like that that mental process of like okay well what would we do and then you know here's some of the ways I can solve right. that problem and then cycle back right that's what we want our kids doing with their own learning it's like problem solve your learning mm. what do you want to know what are some ways you could learn it go try it out if it doesn't work go back and try another one so I'm um, creating that model within myself that I want my kids to be doing right is that reciprocal process of I'm putting myself out there and I'm learning and I'm receiving feedback. And is the feedback satisfying the need? No, it's not. Okay, we go out again. We get what we need. We bring it back. Is that satisfying the need? No, it's not. Right. And you just keep doing that in these concentric circles over and over. That's actually what learning looks like, right? More so than a linear path. And so the more I started asking these questions and and deconstructing that idea that it's you start here, you go to here. Yeah. And also... A lot of the questions, of course, it feels like they're about our child, but they're about us, aren't they? So you said the one there, which was, am I doing enough, right? That's a, a, a huge one. I was just talking to someone about that. Am I doing enough? Is this enough? Is this enough, right? You could drive yourself nuts with that question. Or you you could potentially, you know, very calmly sit there and think, hmm, I wonder if we need something else in right now. Right? You could you could do that. But typically, the is this enough um, is sort of, laden with guilt and blame and well I'm not doing enough you know and and it can tap into lots of old stories we have and our children might be absolutely fine but once we start down certain routes and questioning ourselves and doubting ourselves then of course we're not really holding that space for them with the same sort of trust are we I think those moments aren't they they're sort of to reflect back on ourselves mm-hmm. and just think and, and of course that can then end up going to all sorts of bits of our own lives can't it I think that's what people are often amazed at is when we turn it back on ourselves it really can be quite life-changing in all the ways that we see we're living perhaps a little bit incongruously with how we would like our children to live 
So yeah, like you say, it's it's a daily awareness, isn't it? It's a daily practice. Yes. It, there's so many pieces of inner work to it that I feel like for me, it started with conscious parenting, like when my kids were little and just asking the questions about like, what is actually best for my kids? And am I deeply listening to the feedback that I'm getting from them? And then it evolved into this unschooling. Okay, well, is this education the best for my kids? And what do I want for them? And what do we value here? And what's the best way to provide that? And then it's, you know, as we started going through that, it became clear that, oh, right, the roots of this and both of these things actually are us, like me as the mom, as the parent, because we don't even realize what we're bringing to the table until we start to become aware of it. And then we consciously choose it, you know, so I can think of my parenting journey in that way. It's like, oh, I didn't realize just how much control that I felt I needed to have, like when my kids were little. And so it kind of unraveled. And then the same thing with the schooling. It's like, oh, Mm -hmm. I felt like I need to control them learning these maths or whatever. It's like, oh, actually, I don't let that unravel. And then, you know, how do those pieces of control fit into the way in which we're meeting our grander worlds, right? In the ways that we operate on a daily basis. Um, and so when you say, yeah, it's really about us, it, it really is. Like the de-schooling process is really rooted in the ways in which we're relating to ourselves and the ways in which we're allowing ourselves to, I guess, to move through our days with grace and compassion, more so than like this power over and, and controlled, um, these controlled and manicured ways of being. Yeah. Yeah. I always think if we can bring curiosity and compassion to to our days, we're we're probably doing enough. But, it, you know, to be curious and compassionate does require us to be to be uh, quite open and, and trusting. You know, the minute we're not trusting, we're probably not being terribly compassionate to ourselves and we're probably not very curious because that body chemistry, isn't it, of when we're triggered. Um, you've said a couple of things I just wanted to pick up on. First was the relationship. And then, yeah, is anything ever really worth um, straining a relationship with our child probably not certainly not maths workbooks right yeah it's interesting right now because one of my children's doing he's doing exams which he's chosen to do he wants to um act you know he'd like to go to university so he's doing these exams a, a funny thing happened the other day where he had to choose an option to study it was a very particular it was about history exam and there was a list of, of things and I suggested he chose one thing because I know he knows a lot about it he's already studied it and he said well why would I study what I've already studied in my head I thought it's an exam pick the easy option he said no 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 he said no I'll go for that because I don't know anything about that he was lit up because it meant he could discover about that and I noticed myself in my my own mind thinking no that's not how exams work you go for the easy option isn't that funny I thought (laughs) wow after all these years so you see these things happening so so far as the exams go and I can again the relationship how to support support through that without that ever becoming a point of friction because it's just not worth it you know he's doing the exams willingly but needing support at the same time so sort of navigating how can we hold them in a, in a way that's ne- that's not resistant you know and when that resistance pops up it's probably telling us to to let go a little bit probably of control mm-hmm. probably of trying to get to an outcome that we like you know yeah relationship first and again if we go back to how we learn we learn when we're relaxed, when we're in that open, curious space, right? And so how a child feels in the home, do they feel trusted and supported? You know, that's so key, isn't it, really? Huge, right? Neurologically speaking, you have got, you know, way less capacity, right? If your neurobiology is in any form in fight, flight, freeze, fawn mode, Um, and I would argue that in a classroom setting, you're operating in fawn mode pretty much all the time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what's interesting to me and, and part of my de-schooling journey has been to try to find a balance point because I want to lead my kids forward and I want to inspire them and kind of, I think this might come off sounding wrong, but it's kind of the words that are coming up. But like, I want them to strive for excellence and not in the sense of like meeting a curriculum or somebody else's standard, but like personal excellence as in like, I am showing up as my best self, right? Like I am, I am stepping into my potential, right? Whatever that means, <laughs> whatever that means. And so I, I use those words very loosely, 
Um, but you know, part of my de-schooling journey has been like, okay, well, how do I help them find those things and encourage them forward and kind of give them a map or like some way, right? Some ways forward. And at the same time, not jeopardize relationship, right? Yeah. Um, because I feel like it's a bit of a dance sometimes because I want for them, right? And so then I watch myself. I'm like, okay, well, how much of this is me thinking that's what they need? And how much of them, this is them needing the next stepping stone, right? right. Asking for it. Yeah. Because sometimes kids don't know what to ask for until you know, we provide options, right? Like sometimes like, oh, well, have you thought of this? And have Mm. you thought of that? And what about this? Because they don't know necessarily what's out there. They don't know what they don't know. And so for me, it's been kind of a dance of like, okay, well, how do I provide this stuff that they don't know and entice them, but not push, right? So instead of it being like, this is what I think you should do, more like coming alongside them and being like, oh, here's some, here's some things maybe we should look out, look into and and look up and do together. Um, And I use the word we intentionally there uh, because I've found that to be one of my best strategies is to learn alongside the children, Mm -hmm. right? Instead of it kind of top down, like try this. (laughs) Like, Oh, well let's, let's look into this together. Let's do some research. Here's some thoughts I have. What are some thoughts you have? So that we're a team, right? So we're coming at it together that really helps the kid feel like you're on side with them and that you're doing this because you're there with them, not because you have an expectation for them, but that you actually care. Right. So it's actually bringing the relationship into the journey, into the learning together as you relate through the learning that they're doing, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I love the describing it as a dance. I think it is a dance, isn't it? And that, you know, sometimes I find I've maybe just gone over a boundary a little bit and I feel the pushback. Oh, OK, well, I just, you know, you move back again. I think in traditional parenting or some years ago, you know, you're right, got to push through that. Right. And you keep pushing because that's what a good parent does. Um, but of course, <laughs> it, it doesn't really work. But but mm-hmm. I love that idea. Yes. Of, of um, moving along beside them, so accompanying them in their journeys. Um, yeah. And you can be learning together and and it's wonderful for the relationship. Um, I think it's actually really fun to have because it's also true. I don't know if you found this, but they, your children will be interested in things that you're not interested in, right? And may want to talk for many hours about things that you don't love. And and I know that that can yeah. be quite hard for people. Because I think it's also nice to have the things that you love to do with your child. Mm, yes. You know, those points of common interest that you actually both really genuinely enjoy that. So just to cycle back a little bit, when I say that I'm joining them, I don't necessarily go on the whole learning journey with them, right? It might be like, okay, we're getting to the port and then you're sailing. Um, Mm. But I try to join Mm. in with them until the point where they're ready to sail off or until the point where I'm ready to pull back, right? Because you're exactly right. I don't always want to know what they're doing, but I'm somebody who loves resource finding and generating and that type of thing, right? right? Because of my background and whatever. And so for me, that's fun. Okay, well, let's research what what can you do? Where are the avenues forward and, and that type of thing? And then when they're ready to take off, they do. But yeah, I think sites of mutual fulfillment are really important, like yeah. going to places where, you know, you feel both engaged but also those topics as well. Like in our family, we do board games. It's um, something that we love to play board games together. And they're really great learning opportunities as well. You can learn a lot, um, a lot of content through them and more so like strategic and creative thinking, I find. But but yeah, everybody has their things, like uh, things that they like to do as a family. Yeah, I like that because it's also about bringing our whole selves to it and being authentic and not feeling like we have to love everything and be there all the time and that we're failing if we're not um working out what what works for us and for them I think honesty and authenticity there are really important because that's part of I think what kids lose in school is they think they have to be good at all the things right like you're just supposed to know everything across the board and succeed and Mm -hmm. I think it's good for our kids to hear like I'm not that interested in that or that's not one of my strengths Um, and I can support you. And these are the ways that I can support you. And these are the ways that you're going to have to take that and run with it yourself. Right. So understanding the limitations too of, of the relationship, because we also have to be in relationship with ourselves, 
to be able to say like, no, I don't want to overexert myself and, you know, listen to World War II documentaries. I, I just <laughs> don't. So, you know, if that's what the child's into, it's like, okay, you have to have the boundaries because otherwise, um, otherwise the relationship is in jeopardy for other reasons. Yeah. That takes us nicely onto to boundaries, which is, um, you know, modeling. How do I, how do I set a boundary so that they can set their boundaries too? And it's okay. You can say, this is as far as I go. And, and that's fine. And so can they, I think that's really important too, because, you know, we mustn't be sort of sacrificing ourselves or, you know, saying that, that idea of saying yes to everything. It's a little bit unrealistic and potentially a little bit inauthentic and, and not quite honest, as you say, you know, it's not that full consent of, yes, let's really do this. And that's what we want, right? Like, that's what we want for our kids as learners is to be consensual in their learning and be like, yeah, this is something that I want. This is what I want to learn and what I'm excited about. And so what better way to allow that and encourage that than to be the models of it? And so there's another site for de-schooling, right? How many of us are people pleasers, right? Yeah. Because that's what you, that's what you learn. And if you come through the system, that's what you learn. You got to jump through the hoops and please in these particular ways. Um, you know, obviously I'm, I'm a poster project for the system because I went through it thinking I loved it enough that I had to participate in it and teach other people's kids. Right. So yeah, it's, it succeeded on me. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny. I mean, how many unschooling parents, families are, did very well in inverted commas here, but at school. Uh, further education and so on and I think that people pleasing piece is actually really powerful it's the thing that they don't necessarily want for their child because I think when you do go through life you know as many of us you know having you know ticked the boxes and um, trying to conform to a certain system and then at some point said hmm this isn't quite right there's more that I'm not really getting to here this doesn't just doesn't feel quite right then that is not necessarily what we want for our children. And I think that a lot of people make that choice for something else when they see that happening, that sense of empowerment, autonomy, self-knowledge, when that starts to sort of dim, it feels too much. So, yeah, I just find it interesting, you know, who's on the podcast. There's so many people mm -hmm. come from that sort of patterns. Lots of teachers as well, of course. Yes, yeah, lots of teachers because I think we know right like you see the inner workings of it and you feel it um, mm. like I I felt it at that time particularly where my son was into space and I was teaching it to my students yeah so like I could feel it like it was a visceral experience of wow this is really working and wow this really feels mm. hard you can't unsee that or un unfeel that you yeah. know what I mean like it's just um there's a way that, that it lands in your body when it feels right and when it feels aligned and when it feels like, okay, we're really, we're really hitting it, <laughs> you know? And, and I think that's um, part of the beauty of unschooling is that you get those times more often than in a classroom setting. But for the unschooling parents, you generally focus on the times when you aren't hitting it because right? like, you go through times where it's like oh there's this big boon in learning and everything's awesome and happening and the kids are super engaged and then these other times where it's like a receding and it's like well what do we do next and I'm bored and I don't know what to do and you know this listlessness and you know it's rather like the waves on the beach like you can't always be crashing but the water has to recede so that it can then come back but traditional schooling doesn't allow to allow yeah. a recession there's no wake it is all power on all the time. And that idea of, of rest in between, mm. right? And the people-pleasing piece and the way in which we have to de-school around that related to that ebb and flow, right? And so, you know, as I'm doing this pattern with my hand, I'm thinking back to that circle I was making yeah. earlier about the way that learning happens. It's like learning is not linear. And, you know, the more times we come back around on that as our de-schooling journey happens and the more we check ourselves for like oh yeah it's not linear <laughs> right like this people pleasing thing that's not linear either like you will be yeah. coming up in all these various different ways it's like in the schooling in the right. parenting in the way that we're participating in extracurriculars in the way I'm having conversations with people in in the way that I present on the internet or social media or whatever the thing those threads are permeating all of those aspects of ourselves. And I think we um, do ourselves a disservice when we try to compartmentalize 
this is this part of me and that's this part of me because there are threads that tug all the time at all the facets. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it's just coming back to what you were saying about the ebb and the flow. And I think that's um, a huge challenge to trust, but, but to to trust those quiet times. I just think it's a really wonderful thing to be able to do if you can, because then you notice the things that arise from it. And so to trust when it's quiet, I've started to really love the quiet times now. I find them really mm -hmm. um, sort of nourishing somehow, I really enjoy them because I know that something's going to come up later and it won't always be quiet. But at the beginning, it can be quite unsettling. You know, no one is doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, nothing is happening, you know, and, and of course, you want to jump in, make things happen, make people do things. Well, you could have you could certainly suggest we can always suggest things. But, you know, it, it could be that it's quiet because someone's bored. You know, we don't know the answer until we until we sit with it. Right. It's true. And a lot of my more recent studies have been in, in nature. Um, I study permaculture, mm. which is the study of natural systems and how they provide abundance, basically, in nature. And then using those um, kind of principles to try to encourage or influence human behavior. Uh, it was originally like a farming system. But what is coming up for me in mm. this moment is we never second guess nature, right? Like when nature heads into, you know, fall, winter season and dormancy, when the wave recedes into rest, we don't question it. We don't say, hey, when are you coming back to crash on the beach? Or when are those buds coming out? We trust that, right? Mm -hmm. We inherently trust nature to provide those cycles and to rejuvenate and come back and restore um, and have reciprocity. Mm -hmm. And yet we don't trust our human, human selves to do that, right? Like we've lost touch with yeah. that as part of our humanity. And the fact that, you know, we are nature, right? Like this is actually not a natural process and the natural way in which we participate in life and all, you know, natural beings do this, right? You look at plants, you look at animals, you, you know, and we're not, yeah. we think we're above that system, but we're not, right? And so even down to our learning, even the ways in which we're relating to that, it's actually yeah. part of a much larger pattern right? It's a much larger pattern of nature that we're participating in there. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a lovely, lovely comparison to make. Yeah. We are coming to the end of our time. Gosh, that went so fast, Julie. I still had some questions for you. Oh, yeah, I will actually just, this is one thing that you mentioned, which I just think is a beautiful piece of advice, which is look for the learning. Just something you said a little bit earlier, look for the learning. Mm. So if you're in the beginnings of this, like, see, where is it actually happening? Because if we are Focus on it needing to look a different way. We're probably missing what there is. Um, so not looking away at what we wish it would look like, or what we think it should look like, but seeing what's actually here right now and what's actually happening. Yeah, and um, what I'll say to that is like, even in the classroom, like for those people out there who are doubting and being like, well, I'm not doing enough or whatever. Um, even as a school teacher in the classroom, all the teachers are feeling that too as it's coming up to report card seasons, oh, I didn't do enough. I didn't assess enough. I didn't. You got to fake it because you have to get that report card out because you're dealing with a deadline. Um, yeah. So don't think you're alone in that feeling. Mm -hmm. Like that feeling is a programmed feeling and it's not, um, it's not from yourself, right? Mm -hmm. That's coming from somewhere else. And so ask questions about it. Um, and then obviously in the process of working through that, there are ways that you can support yourself to look for that learning. And there was one time at which I was feeling really uncomfortable. It was early on in my days, like when my son was kind of moving into grade two and three. And, and so what I did is I actually took out the curriculum that he would have been doing should he be in the regular system. And I just looked through it and I was like, hmm, we've done a lot of this stuff. We've just talked about it in passing or, right. you know, or whatever. Kind of just do a mental checklist of like, oh, okay. And also it gave me kind of a guideline to be like, Oh, look at all the things we are doing. And then also too, at the same time, looking at some of it and being like, well, that's just ridiculous, right? Like some yeah. of the things that are even appearing in those curriculum documents are not things that we would normally right. even be looking for, right? And so, you know, like I'm thinking particularly in the gym curriculums, like it's like, can you use locomotor skills to move from point A <laughs> to point B in a shuffle? Right. Like, firstly, the way that's written, but then also, too, it's like, OK, does your child need to know how to shuffle right. at that age? Um, you know, 
they probably yeah. already can because it's appropriate, right? Like, so if your child is, is moving through life developmentally appropriately, then you don't need to assess everything. You don't need to have them prove mm-hmm. everything. Yeah, I think that's like the part that's been the hardest or was the hardest. Now I don't as much, but it still comes up from time to time. But like asking my kids to jump through the hoop so that I feel better. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like, oh, yeah, I can just observe that you're doing that thing. Like, oh, yeah, I, I saw my child shuffling. Yeah. Because they didn't want to go to swimming lessons. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, but we see that. We see the pieces that are already there when we start looking for them. Right. And so, you know, if you're feeling super uncomfortable, just look, look at what's happening. Like my son, who was one who knew all about space. Well, he's just checked off the whole grade six science unit. Right. And so, you know, we don't allow ourselves, I think, often enough to get outside of that box. Yeah. Right. Box is the safety. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. Yeah. We've got to get out of the box. Yeah, definitely. Oh, well, thank you so much, Julie. We've just got a couple more minutes. If there's anything that you feel that you'd really like to share with anybody about to start this journey, something that was helpful to you at the time, although you've already come up with lots of wonderful, wonderful thoughts anyway. Hmm. I would say probably something I haven't talked a whole lot about is the fact that it should be fun, right? Like we should be having (laughs) fun with our kids. We should be having fun with the journey. And that's not, I use the word should there to be careful with that one, right? Because there are times that aren't fun. There are times that feel hard. Mm. And usually that's for me when I'm going through a de-schooling period or where I'm feeling uncomfortable myself. And so I try to notice or when my child is uncomfortable, like if they're going through one of their ebbs and flows and it's kind of a tricky time. Mm. So allowing all that, right? Allowing that part to just be like the tricky bits to just be overall feel. Yeah. It should be joyful. Learning should be fun. Learning should be something that we want to do and engage in. And so I think if you keep that at the center of everything you're doing, it helps the relationship stay intact. It helps learning um, maintain the expansiveness that it is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. Yeah, keep it fun and expansive. Yeah, that's lovely. Oh, thank you so much, Julie. Lovely chatting with you. It was lovely chatting with you as well. Yeah, well, take care. Much love to you and your family. Thank you. Chat again soon. Bye. Bye.